Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We'll be right back with today's guest, but we want to give a shout out to our podcast partners, We Coach, the Global Community of Women in High School Sports, the Florida Coaches Coalition, and Vital Signs, a new partner, longtime sponsor. Check out all of our partners. Um, they're really organizations that you should uh, get in touch with. So, uh, thanks to our partners. Now let's have a quick word from our sponsors. Don't fast forward. It's only going to take about three minutes. We want to say thanks to Gipper. Go to Gipper.com and see how athletic directors are creating world-class content for their school social media channels. Mention you heard about it on the podcast with our code ADPOD10 and you'll get 10% off. Start creating custom content for your school's social media channel. That's Gipper. Dot com. We also want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to Huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years, but as an athletic director, I made sure our school was a Huddle school. And Huddle provided our school, our teams, our coaches, and our athletes the tools they needed to play at the highest level. It's a complete solution with a professional-grade approach. Go to Huddle.com and see why we believe in sports and teams believe in Huddle. Join the 6 million users and find out how to turn your school into a Huddle school. We also want to thank Snap Mobile. Snap Mobile is the uh, home site for an entire suite of platforms designed to help you as an athletic director do your job better. There's Snap Connect, Snap Manage, Snap Store, a whole lot more, including Snap Raise, their fundraising platform, which we have used and they've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. They even have a program where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anybody else offers that. Go to snapraise.com. Find out about the entire platform. That's snapraise.com. We also want to thank Sideline Interactive indoor score tables and video boards. Go to sidelineinteractive.com and schedule a live web demo See their tables and their scoreboards in action. It's one of the best purchases I ever made for our school. Not only generates income for the department, but creates the ultimate game day experience for your student athletes. That's sidelineinteractive.com. Check them out today. We also want to say thanks to Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Hometown has recently acquired Ticket Spicket, and together they're going to provide your school with an online ticketing solution, not just for athletic events, but for things like dances, school plays, concerts, even graduation. Go to hometownticketing.com. They're going to walk you through the process and every step of the way, you'll have a dedicated client success manager that provides hands-on support. That's every step of the way. You can find it all at hometownticketing.com. Simple and easy online ticketing. We also want to thank Wall of Fame. The Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen uh, video console that highlights your school's top performers, both past and present, from athletics, academics, and the arts. But Vital Signs is so much more than that. The Vital Signs Wall of Fame is an extensive content program that helps you uh, tell more compelling stories that will better engage your audience. Go to vitalsignswalloffame.com and check out the great products. And when you're ready to purchase, use the link vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake and get 5% off. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com. 
We also want to thank Final Forms. Uh, Final Forms is going to help you prepare for your best season ever by helping your stakeholders, your coaches, and you as an athletic director. Go to finalforms.com slash Jake and check out their platform and all the things that they can do. Again, no other platform is going to help your stakeholders, your coaches, and you quite like Final Forms. Go to finalforms.com slash Jake and get started today. And we want to thank Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack. Go to athleticsurveys.com and see how they can create a custom survey for your school that allows you to take the pulse of your parents and your student athletes. ADs typically only hear from that uh, grumpy 2%, that uh, squeaky wheel parent or that frustrated student athlete. And we need to hear from them so we can affect positive change in our program. But you also need to hear from that 98% that really love and support your program. And that's where Athletic Surveys comes in. Once again, go to athleticsurveys.com and uh, let them help you set up a survey so you can take the pulse of your athletes and your parents. That's athleticsurveys.com. Okay. This meeting is being recorded. This meeting is being recorded. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to a very special edition of the Educational AD Podcast. This is episode number 400, and we've got a very cool guest today. We're staying right in Florida, and we're going into the FIAAA Hall of Fame and visiting with Ron Balaz. Uh, If that name's not familiar, shame on you. You know, Ron's a longtime athletic director here in the state of Florida. He's retired for a few years. He was also the very first executive director for the FIAAA, the Florida Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Uh, As you've heard me share before, I got involved with FIAAA later in my career, and Ron could not have been nicer to, uh, let's say, uh, an older new AD, uh, welcoming to the organization, you know, guiding me, you know, providing some mentorship. Uh, and again, I, I'm forever grateful for him helping my athletic director career uh, be a, a very enjoyable experience. So, Ron Balaz, welcome to the Educational AD Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Well, uh, we appreciate you taking a break from your golf game uh, there in Sarasota yeah. to, uh, to join us. Um, as you know, uh, we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So, Give us the Ron Balaz origin story, where you were born, where you grew up, uh, you know, maybe take us up through those college years, and then we'll take a break and hear about your early career uh, teaching, coaching. But um, what's the Ron Balaz story? Okay. I, uh, I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I went to uh, St. Francis de Sales High School, which was an all-boys Catholic school. Uh, looking back, uh, it was a great school. It was a very intense learning environment and they had a great athletic program. It was a, a very long distance from where I lived. So it was kind of like back then we didn't have cars. And so I had to take two buses to get to school, but I went there because they had a good athletic program and, uh, I played football there and, and it, it was a great experience. Uh, looking back, I tell my wife now that Probably, I probably shouldn't have gone there. I probably should have gone to Toledo Central Catholic where they had some girls. And, you know, uh, I became uh, a little socially inept in my early years because you were with uh, 
not only was the fact that I was with all boys, but most of the guys who went to Toledo St. Francis were from the West end of Toledo. And I was from the East side of Toledo. So on the weekends, when it was time to party, I was so far away, I couldn't get there. So I really wasn't socially tied in with the guys that I went to school with. So I kind of felt that was a negative thing, but, but I got a great education. It was very tough. The Oblates of St. Francis didn't take any, I mean, you had no choice of what curriculum you took. They made you take Latin, French, all the math, all the sciences. So I got a good education. Uh, I, I later decided that I wanted to go to Ohio State University. Uh, obviously, I thought I was a better football player than I was. And when I got to Ohio State, they taught me that I was not as good a football player as I thought I was. It was a, uh, it was a tremendous learning experience for me. I went there as a walk-on and back in the days of Woody Hayes, uh, they had 250 guys out for the team. So, I mean, there was no scholarship limits. And I remember the first day I got there and they, they, they called for all the running backs and like 44 guys went over as running backs and you, you start talking to them and they're telling you they were all state New York and all state this and all state that. And I soon learned that this is not where I belong. So, I mean, it was, it was a great learning experience. Probably if I would have went to a smaller school, I might've played a little bit in college, but I, I have no regrets on that. It was a, it was a great time. Uh, I went to Ohio state with the idea that I was going to become a dentist. I think this was kind of my dad's wish and I kind of fell into that. And I, in my freshman year, I took the courses. And the beginning of my sophomore year, I ran into two courses called physics and organic chemistry. And from that point on, after that semester, I decided that this was not for me. I, I, I just can't do this stuff. So I decided to become a physical education major. And I really enjoyed it. I got into that. I love sports. Uh, at Ohio State, they had a, a great physical education staff. Uh, they made you take a quarter of every sport and learn how to, how to play it, how to teach it, and how to coach it. And, and, and that made me decide that I wanted to be a coach. And so uh, as I finished up my career at Ohio State, I, I, I wasn't married. I had no connections. I, I didn't want to go back to Toledo. I had, I had a chance. I had a good friend who was a coach at Cardinal Stritch High School who wanted me to come there. I, I just didn't feel comfortable going back to my hometown. I, I can't explain why, but I didn't. So I took a job at Lima Central Catholic, which is, was a small Catholic high school. Uh, I taught six classes a day. I coached, I was assistant football coach, assistant wrestling coach, and assistant baseball coach for $4,900 a year. And uh, I enjoyed it. I, I really thought it was, it was a great thing. And, and so that's how I got my coaching start. And, and so I met my wife there. Uh, we had, she was from Lima. I met her. We got married, I guess, the second year I was there. And I decided that there was no future in a small Catholic school. If I, if I wanted to add or something, I needed to go to a public school. Uh, so I was looking around, around the Dayton area. And I came home one day and my wife said, 
do you really want to stay in Ohio? I never thought about it. But when she mentioned it, I said, well, I don't know. Where would you want to go? And she said, where would you want to go? Of course, this was a silly question because all I knew about Florida was I had been there four years in a row for spring break. And I thought that was the greatest experience of my life. So I decided, well, maybe we should go to Florida. And it just so happened that her grandmother lived in Sarasota. So we, we flew down an Easter break. I, I had read in a, in, a, in a wrestling magazine that they were looking for wrestling coaches in, in Florida. So I, I, we flew down to Sarasota, borrowed her car, and we drove over to Dade County because at that time, Dade County was the largest county in Florida. They were paying the most money and we felt that our chances of becoming teachers there were, were great. It was a good thing. We drove down there, I never forget. I thought it was kind of strange. They were interviewing both my wife and I at the same time. That didn't, that didn't seem like it was quite right. She was an elementary school teacher and I was a high school teacher. So basically the guy, the first question he asked was, well, you're from the Midwest, yes? And we said, yes. He said, well, this interview's over, you're hired. He said, uh, the education in the Midwest is 10 times better than the education in Florida. I thought this was rather strange coming from a guy who was working for the education department in Florida, but we got jobs. And then, then it was a, it was up to me to try to find, they, they put me, they, they were going to put me in a middle school. And I, and I said, I'm a high school teacher. I'm not a middle school teacher. So I, I, I called this guy up who was the wrestling coach who wrote the article and he took me to uh, meet his athletic director. And, and they decided that, uh, yeah, they, they, they'll, they'll hire me as a, as a uh, assistant wrestling and assistant football, but they had no physical education openings. And thankfully, back when I was at Ohio State, one of my instructors in physical education said to me, you need to have something else besides physical education on your resume. So I became a biological science minor, which was the only way I could get this job at Coral Park High School. As a matter of fact, my whole career as a physical education major, I never taught physical education, not once, you know, so it, it's kind of strange how things take you. So I ended up at Coral Park Senior High School, assistant uh, football coach and assistant wrestling coach. I did this. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had, I had a little bit of a, I guess I was a young well, I was young and I thought I knew everything about everything. And I really didn't like the way that the head football coach was running the team. He, he, he was very laid back. He was not energetic. He, just, he was a nice guy. But to me, it wasn't what a coach was supposed to be. And, and I was very disgruntled. And I would come home and complain to my wife. And she would say, well, what are you going to do about it? So I, I finally went in one day and I talked to him and I said, you know, how, how about if I became the JV head JV football coach and that way I could run a program on my own and, you know, work with younger kids and do things. And he, I guess he didn't like me very much either. So he said, well, yeah, sure. Go ahead and take the job. So I took the job as JV head JV football coach. And the next year he left. And so the principal gave me the job. I became the head football coach and, and, I took over a team that had won four games in, in five years. So there was no high expectations. And, and 
it was kind of funny. I mean, it's funny how things teach you a lesson, but I won the first three games. They hadn't won three games in a row for five years. And I walked around the halls like that, like I was Newt Rockney. And, and, you know, it just, to me, I, I was so fulfilled with myself that I, I didn't realize that, you know what, this is harder than it looks. And we lost the next five games and I, I kind of woke up real quick, but I did that for five years and I had two young children. I worked very, very hard. My coaches worked very hard. Uh, in Dade County, they didn't have enough stadiums. So there were games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So not only did we go to our games, but we scouted on, on the other two days. And then on Sunday, we spent all day breaking down film. And I never saw my family. For five years, my wife raised my kids and she did a great job with them. I mean, by the time I would come home from practice, they were young, they were ready to go to bed. I maybe spent five minutes with them, 10 minutes with them. And, and, and that, was, that was very hard. And uh, I began to get some health problems. I, I put too much stress on myself. I, the, the school never put stress on me for winning because they had never won before. But I just thought, you know, this, is, this can't be. You have to win. And, and that's all I knew. And, and I used to get headaches and high blood pressure. And basically, the doctor told me, you know, this job's not very good for you. you you're just putting t- too much stress on it. So I said to my wife, I guess I got to give this up. And I said, you know, in Dade County, if you gave up a head football job, the principal could move you out of the school in order to have that position to fill that job. So I went into the principal knowing that if I'm going to resign this, I might not have a job at Coral Park High School anymore. So I went in and I talked to him and he was very understanding. And we had three games left in the season. And he said, well, I want you to finish out the season. And he told me this in confidentiality. I'm not real happy with the AD that we have now. He's been here a long time. And I think he's just, he was a great guy and he was a good mentor to me, but he just had done this too long and he was probably ready to go. So the principal told me next year, we're going to replace him and and you can become the AD. And that's how I got it. I had no training. There was no manuals. There was nobody, you know, uh, I mean, here you are. Here's 15 keys to the different doors and go ahead and take off. I was very, very lucky that I was in a big county. I think at the time in Dade County, when I took over, there were like 22 public high schools in Dade County, all all having 40,000, uh, 4,000 kids at least. So I took over, but I had I had great help. Wayne Taylor was my mentor. He, he guided me. Wayne Story was a great help to me. Cheryl Golden, Bob Pirro. We were able to consult with each other anytime I needed anything. We had no mentorship program like they have now, but these people were mentors to you. You could call them up. And the other great thing that happened was once a, once a month, and I think most people do this now, but back then it was not something that counties did. Once a month, we had an athletic director's meeting for a whole afternoon, and we would come in there, all the athletic directors would meet, and at that time, uh, Joe Tattle was the head of the uh, GMAC, which was the Greater Miami Athletic Conference, and we would be there for three, four hours, we'd have lunch, and we'd discuss the problems that we were having, and people would help each other out, so 
that was a great learning lesson for me. And I think that's probably one of the best things that happened to me and made me want to stay as an AD and, and do a good job as an AD. So uh, I, I owe that to those people. Uh, I don't know if you're ready to stop or, you know. Let, wow. I mean, I, I was fascinated hearing that history. Uh, but yeah, let's go and take a quick break, but we will come back. Um, before we do, you know, real quickly, you know, um, as you were starting that coaching career there at Coral Park, um, certainly in the back of your mind, uh, I'm going to guess there were probably one or two things that you had picked up uh, in your time at uh, Ohio State, you know, under a legendary coach uh, that, you know, became part of your coaching toolbox. Uh, anything stick out in particular of, of something that you took with you from that Ohio State experience? Well, I think I think that, uh, you know, when you talk about a toolbox, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about hammers and screwdrivers and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I felt that one of the things that that helped me was learning to communicate with with other coaches and, and learning to deal with them. And I and I had a hard time because I was kind of a stubborn person. And, and you know, it was kind of like it's my way or the highway. And, and, and that doesn't work. And, and I found out that it doesn't work. But if you find out the hard way and. And, and I think, I think all athletic directors, if they had one skill, it, it would be the ability to hire good coaches. And once you had a good coach, the ability to give them the freedom to be a good coach and not overlook their shoulder. I, I know sometimes I felt like when I was an assistant coach and that, I think that was the problem that I had with, with my head football coach he would kind of hold you back. We would come up with these ideas and he would just not pay any attention to them. And we'd go out to practice and, and the practices were disorganized. And every time we'd come in and talk about it, he just didn't care, you know? And I, I found that very hard to deal with, you know? And so I think the ability to communicate with your coaches. And I always, I always, I mean, I can't tell you that I didn't have coaches that I didn't like because I did. And, you know, a lot of times in a, in a public high school, especially in a big high school, a lot of times you don't have a choice on, on removing a coach or, or getting a new coach in because in, in Dade County, in order to be a coach, you had to be a teacher. And if there was not a teaching position, I don't care how good the coach was, you couldn't get them into your building. Mm -hmm. So you had to sometimes deal. And, and, and sometimes we had to make coaches, I, I say make, but, but, kind of prod coaches to coach sports that they didn't really know enough about like the minor sports, you know, right. uh, like the, like, like, you know, have track and field and things of that sort. So sometimes you dealt with coaches that weren't really knowledgeable and you tried to help them. But, but I think communication is something that was a very important lesson for me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and that part about, I don't think there's anything more defeating then when you, if you go to your head coach as an assistant or you go to your athletic director or, you know, you go to somebody who is, you know, your supervisor and you say, Hey, you know, I, I've got an idea or we've got an idea and you get that. Well, that's not how we do things around here. Or, you know, we've never done that before. I mean, just so defeating. Okay. Very yeah. good. Appreciate you sharing that. Let's go and take our first break again for our okay. listeners. 
We're visiting with Ron Balaz. Ron's a certified athletic administrator, longtime athletic director in the state of Florida, and the original executive director of the FIAAA. We're going to take our first break, but please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. This meeting is being recorded. We want to thank Gipper for their support of the podcast. Go to Gipper.com and see how athletic directors are creating world-class marketing content for their school social media channels. You can do it on any device and you don't need any design experience. Tell them you heard about it on the podcast. Use our code ADPOD10 and you'll get 10% off. That's Gipper.com. We also want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to Huddle.com and change the way you see the game. Um, over 200,000 teams across 40 different sports are using Huddle to help their teams play at the highest level. Huddle is going to provide you with the tools that your coaches, your teams, and your athletes need to succeed at the highest level. It's going to be a professional-grade solution for the challenges that you face. At Huddle, we believe in sports and teams believe in Huddle. Join the 6 million users and find out how to turn your school into a huddle school. And we want to say thanks to Snap Mobile. Snap Mobile is the home of an entire suite of platforms designed to help you as an athletic director do your job better. There's Snap Store, Snap Manage, Snap Connect, and of course, Snap Raise is their fundraising platform. We've used it with great success, and they've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. They even have a program where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anyone else offers that. Go to snapraise.com to get started. Check out the entire Snap Mobile platform. That's snapraise.com. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome back, everyone, to our interview with Ron Balaz, longtime Florida AD, FIAAA Hall of Famer, and the first executive director for the uh, FIAAA here in Florida. Ron, in that previous segment, you uh, touched on a, a couple of your mentors. And, and during the break, you mentioned that uh, one in particular, you know, really had an impact on you. Can you go ahead and share that with our listeners? Yes. Uh, Wayne Taylor, uh, when I was at Coral Park High School, Wayne Taylor was the business manager there for a while. And, and we got to be very good friends and we, we did a lot of things together. And then Wayne went on and became, he became the athletic director at Palmetto High School. And during this time, uh, he, and, he and Chuck Holland were very good friends. Chuck Holland was an athletic director in Hillsborough County. And they were from what I understand, they were the founding fathers of the, of the FIAAA. So Wayne was, was big in that and he insisted that I become part of that. But uh, he, he, was, he helped me a lot and guided me a lot. He was, he was kind of a controversial figure though. He, he had an opportunity. They hired him downtown as a, uh, they didn't call them county ADs. I, I'm not sure they, they just went downtown and worked as an administrative position handling athletics. And Wayne, Wayne made a mistake. I, he he kind of, I guess, made some people angry by calling himself the county AD. And so he, they moved him back out of that and moved him back into a, into a high school, actually Braddock High School. But Wayne was big, helped help me quite a bit. He, uh, Cheryl Golden was another one. Cheryl was a good friend of mine and later on became the county AD. 
but we used to meet all the time and, and go over things. Uh, Bob Pirro was a great friend of mine and, and we used to talk all the time. So I, I think being in Dade County where there was a lot of people who were athletic directors and we were able to share information helped me become a better AD. I, I had one big problem and now there's a lot of problems in, in this day and age, but uh, I regret it now and I hate to admit it, but I, I had a big problem with Title IX. I, I was not against girl sports. Don't get me wrong. I thought girl sport, girls should play sports. But in my mind, I didn't see the girls on the same sports level as boys. And when this, when the Title IX started to tell us that we had to play night girls basketball and, and when I would pack the gym for boys basketball and I would get maybe 25 people for girls basketball at night. And those were only the parents of the girls. I thought it was wrong. I, I, you, you can't make me do this. You're, you're, but I think Cheryl Golden helped me out on this and she, she kind of opened my eyes and said, you know what, this is something that's coming. You got to accept it. And so we used to meet downtown. I remember back when Title IX first came out, there was such a such a massive uh, need to be in compliance that we were trying to figure out ways to make up num actually make up numbers, I guess, lie about the numbers that we had. Because obviously, if we're in a school, a big school, our boy sports total with football just totaled out number all the girls that we had, and. I, I, I kind of had a real issue when a booster club wanted to do something for the boys sports. And I was told that if you don't do it for the girls sports, then it can't be done. So this was, this was a, a, a big crisis for me. I, I soon got over it. And I, I learned that now I know that girls sports and it's, it's good. And, you know, and, and sometimes I know when it way later on, when, uh, I, I left Coral Park and this is, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but I went to open a brand new school. Our girl sports were stronger than our boy sports. And I, I, they, they just, they, they promoted our program for us, but back to the, to the mentors. Uh, I, I really thankful for that. And, and I get, that's how I got in, really involved in the FI AAA and the uh, NI AAA. I'll never forget this. And I, I always tell this story about my first, NIAAA meeting. It was it was in Orlando, and Wayne says, "Okay, you're going to go to this." So I, I was so excited about it. I thought, "Man, this would be a great time." Well, let me tell you, the only time I saw any of the speakers was when I picked them up at the airport or took them back to the airport because Wayne Taylor put me. This was my title: "You are in charge of transportation," which meant that. All day and all night, I would drive back and forth to the airport to pick up people, take them back to the airport. I never attended. I never attended one NIAAA actual meeting. I was all I did was drive back and forth to the airport for four days. But it was an experience, and you know, it, it, I guess that's what they do to rookies back then. But it was it was a great experience, and I I, I really got to really got to appreciate the, uh, the organization. Uh, the FI AAA back at that time was not very strong. I mean, it, it was just beginning. You take 
the Orlando, Hillsborough, and Dade, they were strong in those counties. The other rural counties, they didn't buy into the FIAAA at that time. It was, it was very difficult. As a matter of fact, nobody wanted to be president of the FIAAA because at that time, and still to this day, but at that time, when you were president-elect, you were totally in charge of putting on the conference. There was no committee. There was nobody to help you. you they said, you're president-elect, and you will put on the conference. And how do you put on a conference when you never put on a conference before? You know, you, you, you ask the people who before, but it, it was very difficult, and, and it was hard. I remember... Uh, I think I forget where we were, but a, a fellow, a guy named Paul McLaughlin, who was another good friend of mine, he trapped me in the stairway of the hotel and he says, you're going to be the next president elect. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. And that night, Wayne Taylor and Wayne Story and Paul McLaughlin came to my room and they said, you are going to be the next president elect. And I kept saying, no, I don't want that job. I don't know how to do that job. I don't want it. And they said, you have no choice. So that's how I became the president elect of the FIAAA and very reluctantly. And it was, it was hard because, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of cooperation back at that time. Uh, a lot of people didn't buy into the FIAAA. And as a matter of fact, at that time, Florida high school really didn't buy into the FIAAA. Gradually, as they changed, as Florida high school changed executive directors, they, people became more and more reliant on the FIAAA. As a matter of fact, the, the board of Florida high school was made up primarily of all principals, nobody else. They allowed the FIAAA and the Florida Coaches Association to put one person on that board. I was lucky enough to be that person for the FIAAA. But you cer I certainly learned a lot about politics in those times on that board because it was, a, it was an all-principal board and the rules were made by the principals. They, they really didn't listen to what the athletic directors had to say. And I soon found out that what happened in the board meetings was not happening in the board meetings. It had happened the night before in rooms where they decided everything that was going to happen. And unless you were involved in that room, you had no clue what was going on. So it was quite a learning experience. And that, that went on for a while. Florida High School, I don't know why, but they didn't buy into the FIAAA immediately. But gradually, they, I think they begin to understand that we could help them and they could help us. And I think probably the big turning point in the was when they decided that, I mean, when we put, I'm, I'm kind of backtracking, but when we put on a conference, we had no money. I mean, the only money that we had was uh, from the dues that we collected from the schools. And then that was not much. Uh, we back, back when I, was president of the FIAAA, there was no, we had no corporate sponsors. We didn't even know what corporate sponsors were. I mean, we just didn't do it. You know, nobody at that time didn't. And I, I, I thank guys now like uh, Russell Wombles and, and those guys who, who got this corporate structure going. And then when the, when the F, 
when the Florida high school decided that they were going to pay the dues for all, all of the uh, members, well, then we, all of a sudden we became rich. We, we had plenty of money and you, now you could put on a conference and do a good conference, have good speakers, have good venues, get a lot of vendors. When my first conference, when I put on, we had, I think maybe three vendors I and mean, no, nobody wanted to come as a vendor because they didn't see the value of it. I mean, mm -hmm. because a lot of people didn't come to the FIAAA. So it was, it was a big turning point. And, and once, once Florida high school bought into the FIAAA, the whole thing changed, you know? Uh, so that was, a, that was a good, a good thing there. This meeting is being recorded. We want to thank Sideline Interactive for their support of the podcast. You've heard me say before that Sideline Interactive's indoor score tables and video boards not only generate income for your department, they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student athletes. Go to sidelineinteractive.com, schedule a live web demo, and see their tables and their boards in action. That's sidelineinteractive.com. We also want to thank Hometown Ticketing for their support. Go to hometownticketing.com and they'll show you how to set up and sell your tickets online, not just for athletic events, but for things like school dances, school plays and concerts, even graduation. Go to hometownticketing.com. They will also provide you with a dedicated client success manager that provides you hands-on support every step of the way. That's before, during, and after. Go to hometownticketing.com and get started today. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Uh, we're getting a, a great, great uh, walk down memory lane with Ron Balaz, former executive director of the FIAAA, uh, certified athletic administrator and longtime AD here in Florida. Ron, you mentioned earlier that um, you had become an, you became the athletic director at the school where you had been a coach, but then you had an opportunity a while later to open up a brand new high school. Tell us about that experience. Uh, not, I'm not trying to change the course of this thing, but uh, that was my last five years. Uh, and I, I, if you don't mind, I would kind of like to talk about how I got more active in the NIAAA. Uh, would that be okay? I mean, oh, that is absolutely okay, Ron. You take it. Okay. Uh, as I say, I became uh, the NIAAA uh, became a very important part of my career because I, I Wayne, as again Wayne Taylor and Wayne Story uh, said, you need to get involved in this. So uh, they had a they had an at large election where where you, if you ran, uh, you could possibly win the election and be put on the NIAAA board. So I, I ran for that office. Two very good friends of mine, one actually has passed away, Marty Ryan from Maine and Dave Morgan from Virginia. And they were both great candidates. And it was a, it was a, it was a real true election. I mean, we campaigned and back then we you know, passed out flyers and things of that. Well, needless to say, I didn't win that election, and, and I was very disappointed, but uh, I was very lucky that four years later, uh, the uh, NIAAA allowed uh, sections to, to actually appoint a person to go on as an at-large member. 
So Section 3 came up four years later, and they nominated me to be an at-large person on the, on the board. So I, I served on that board, and that was a great experience. I mean, I learned so much. I mean, dealing with, uh, with uh, Bruce Whitehead was, was a tremendous experience, and I, and I learned about that. Uh, but as... As I, as I got more and more involved in that, I, it, it came time where I probably, I was going to run for president of the NIAAA, but it was kind of an interesting situation. In order to fulfill the term for the NIAAA, you had to have five years left as an act, active athletic director. You came on as a president-elect, then the president, then the past president. It just so happened that in 1968, Dade County, Florida, state of Florida adopted the drop program where they, and you, you, I think you know about the drop program where they, they pay you big money, they put your retirement into a hold and after five years, you walk away with quite a bit of money. So I was in that five year period and basically I was going to retire in four years. So therefore I was not eligible to run for president of the NIAAA because I didn't have five years left as an active athletic director. So that was that particular thing. Well, I re when I retired, uh, I think in 2001, the all of a sudden a group of, of older athletic directors decided that they were gonna form the NEDC, the National Executive Directors Council. And they did this with the approval of the NIAAA. And what it was, it was made up of uh, and a, a re, pretty much it wasn't, you didn't have to be retired, but most of them were retired athletic directors from the state. And they, they were people with so much knowledge. It was amazing. I mean, you got into a room of just imagine if you get into a room of 35 former athletic directors, how much information there is. And the one thing that you learned from that was that even though you thought your problem was your own problem, Every state had the, basically the same problem. So we met, we met in the summer and had great meetings. And uh, it was a very good thing because they, they were all retired athletic directors. They had tremendous amount of information and they actually involved their wives and it made the wives happy. And if the wives are happy, everybody's happy. So uh, we did, I did this and, and it was a, a very great experience. Uh, at the same time, we, we ended up, uh, the FIAAA continued to grow and, and became, uh, uh, we, we put on, I, I think I put on three conferences myself in, in Orlando and was great experience and, and uh, it just began to grow. The leaders, the leaders of the FIAAA became much more active in the Florida high school. And actually the FIAAA became probably a, a very strong part of the National Athletic Directors Association. We, we became recognized. We started to get people. I mean, Wayne Taylor was a president. Andy Childs was a president. So we became very much involved and, and actually had quite a bit of control of the NIAAA, which, which was good. And, and Florida became recognized and, and we began to grow. At the same time, the FIAAA began to grow because people now began to see what a great value the conferences were and the speakers and uh, the meetings and and so the, even the small rural counties bought into the FIAAA. So uh, we began we began to grow.
I, I was executive director for 15 years and uh, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I dealt with a lot of people. We dealt, we didn't, we didn't really have a lot of problems because we had money. Uh, we had people who bought into it. Our conferences were always great. I mean, we had 25, 30 vendors at our conference and, and it was the, the, the organization just continued to grow. Uh, it was very hard for me to decide to give that job up, but, but the point was, it just seemed I was no longer active in schools. So, so consequently, I kind of felt like, how can I lead these people if I don't know what their problems are? I mean, you know, you could tell me what your problems were in that particular school, but I was not experiencing those problems anymore. So it was a, it was a very hard decision. And I decided that, you know, everybody should know when it's their time to go. And I'd rather have it be my decision than somebody kicking me. I think, I think probably, and I'm not boasting, but I think probably if I wouldn't have retired, I could still be executive director of Florida high school. I mean, of the FIAAA because I, I didn't have any people who, I didn't have any enemies. I got along with people and, uh, you know, they, we, we, we ran a good organization. Uh, at the same time, towards the end of my career, and I'll go to, to opening a brand new school. I was at Coral Park High School for 32 years, and I, I truly enjoyed the high school. It was, it was a great, I mean, I was the coaches there. I, I knew the people I went. I think in my 30-some years at Coral Park, I went through five different principles, and I survived them all. Some were good, some were bad. But, but you know what? You, I guess as you grow older, you learn what the principal wants of you. And if you're going to stay at your job, you stay at your job. So I, I was very happy at Coral Park. But all of a sudden, a new school was opening in Dade County. And it was out close to actually where I live. And it just so happened that the principal of that new school was happened to be dating a good friend of mine from Coral Park. And, and I, knew, I knew her name was Millie Fornell. And I knew Millie very well. And she approached me and she said, you know, I would like to hire, I would like you to come on and open this new school. I had five years left in my career. I told her I, I'm, I'm retiring when I'm 62 years old because of the drop program. And I have five good years. And she said, in the five years that you're there, uh, I want you to open this high school. And, and basically you will answer to nobody but me. Now, what a great deal that was, right? You know, here was the principal, and I guess basically I was the second in command, even though nobody said that, but I was. So I was able to open a school from ground up. I mean, ground up. I was on the construction site. We were choosing the colors. We chose the mascot. We did everything. I was able, and and she was a wonderful principal, and she actually, she actually told the department heads that whoever I wanted to bring in as a coach was going to be hired in this school. So, I mean, I, I had, I mean, you talk about a carte blanche situation. I mean, I, I got the, I went to Dade County and I got the, and the best coaches. I mean, who would not want to go to a brand new school? You know, I mean, you had new equipment. We had tons of money. We had, we started off with a JV program only. So, so the kids were able by the time our, our freshman class became seniors, they had played together for four years 
And we actually became a pretty good athletic program in Dade County. And it was, it was to me, the most rewarding experience of my life. I mean, there was, I can't tell you how enjoyable it was to go to work every day. I mean, I, I had, first of all, I had no classes. I didn't teach. I was a full-time athletic director. How much better can that be, right? Yep. When the principal trusts you, I mean, there, if, if you had to write a scenario of, of what, what could be a good athletic director's job, that was the best job that there ever was. And, and for five years, I totally enjoyed it. And, and then it was time for me to retire. And so, but it was, it was very, very, a very good experience. Um, looking back, you know, you'd mentioned uh, earlier in the interview uh, that those first couple of years, uh, your girls teams, you know, kind of carried the flag for the school. Uh, you know, what are a couple that really stick out for you as, you know, boy, that was a, a great victory, a great win for the, for the entire athletic department. Well, you know, we had, we had, uh, a tremendous girls athletic program, but our girls soccer team, well, it was kind of funny in, D in Dade County. I think you're from, you're, you know, you're familiar with Dade County. The, uh, the, this, the people from South America were, cause they were on different, their summers were our winners. So when, when they, they would, the parents would move to Dade County in the winter and they would enroll in, in the school. And we would get all these uh, South American girls who played soccer all their life. And, and we, I mean, I never liked soccer. I, I hate to tell you that. I, I didn't dislike it, but I never thought it was a sport that I, I was involved in. But when I saw these girls play soccer and we went on to win the district and actually almost got to the state championship, I mean, I was so proud of those girls. And you know what? It's just a funny thing. Girls, girls appreciate, I think, an athletic director more than the boys do. They, I mean, they were all, we were all friends and, and we just, we just enjoyed it. I mean, I went to their games and I cheered for them and they won all the time. And they were, they were, they basically were heroes in our school. And then they went on and they played other sports. And that was the thing about girl sports that, that I think when, when I was, uh, when I was playing high school sports, it was common to play three sports. You know, you just did. I mean, you played football, you, you maybe played basketball or, or ran track or did something like that. But in the, in the last years of my career, boys did, did not play, did not play three sports. They, they specialization came in. And I think that was one thing that I would never agreed on that a kid had to special. I realized that that's how they got better. And I realized that was it. But to me, I felt that it was it was much better if kids played more than one sport. And that's what I liked about our girls program at Varela. I mean, I, these girls played, most of them played two sports and all, a lot of them played three sports and they were active in the athletic association and, and, and they did a great job and they were good in all the sports. I mean, our girls program, our girls program at Varela was 10 times stronger than our boys program because the girls played three different sports. And we had good girls coaches. I was able to bring in coaches who, who knew how to coach girls because it's different to coach girls than it is to coach boys. And they did a great job with them. And, and we were, I have to say, we were probably as proud or maybe not prouder of our girls teams than our boys teams. And that, that, was, a, that was a tough thing for a guy who at once didn't like Title IX. 
Yeah, again, you know, and again, it, it was that's how it was back then. That's you know, when when you grew up, I mean, that's just how it was. And so I, I think you've shown just through, through this interview, obviously, uh, you know, the the growth that you had uh, as an AD, as a coach, and uh, absolutely, we appreciate everything that you know, girls sports provides and and what our girls teams do for our school. For listeners, once again, we're visiting today with Ron Balaz, longtime Florida coach and athletic director, uh, former executive director for the FIAAA, also a member of the FIAAA Hall of Fame. We're going to take another break, but we'll be back with some more. This is the Educational AD Podcast. This meeting is being recorded. We want to say thanks to Vital Signs of the Hall of Fame for their support of the podcast. The Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen video console that is going to highlight your school's top performers, both past and present, in athletics, academics, and the arts. But the Wall of Fame is so much more than that. It's an extensive content program that helps you uh, to tell more compelling stories that will better engage your audience. Go to vitalsignswalloffame.com. Check out their great products. And when you're ready to make a purchase... Use the link vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake, and you'll get 5% off. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com. Check out their amazing products today. We also want to say thank you to Final Forms. Final Forms is going to help you prepare for your best seasons ever. Uh, Final Forms can help you ensure compliance, reduce risk, increase safety, and at the same time, help your stakeholders, help your coaches, and help you as an athletic director. Go to finalforms.com slash Jake to get started. That's finalforms.com slash Jake to find out all the things that Final Forms can do for you. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Once again, we're visiting with Ron Balaz, Certified Athletic Administrator, longtime AD here in Florida, active at the national level, and the original executive director for the FIAAA. Ron, um, obviously the job of being a school-based athletic director has changed over the years. Um, from your perspective, um, you know, from when you first started in the profession to, you know, all the time you spent uh, as a school-based athletic director, and then your time after retirement where you were still very active in the profession, as the executive director for FIAAA, and even today, how have you seen the job of the athletic director change over the years? Well, I think, uh, obviously, as you mentioned before, technology has changed the job. And I'm sure that the athletic directors nowadays would say that technology has changed the job for the better. Uh, I remember back when I first came in, everything was paperwork. I mean, we had nothing but paperwork. But matter of fact, when I first became athletic director, I don't believe and I, I don't think that I even had a computer in my office because we just didn't have those things. And I remember some of the things, some of the problems. Uh, <laughs> I always I, I, I can't believe we have to do this. But uh, when you when you checked eligibility on a kid. Uh, you know, you, you bring the birth, the birth. Nowadays, they just look at a birth certificate and they declare the kid eligible. We had to take the birth certificate from the parent. We had to mail the birth certificate to Florida high school and they had to look at the birth certificate and mail them back to you. Well, you don't know how much trouble I had getting a birth certificate from, 
especially especially in Miami, where we had a lot of Spanish people and uh, people from Colombia, Venezuela. They didn't want to hand me that birth certificate, and let alone did they want me to mail that birth certificate off into the office. And I, I basically was petrified that I was not going to get one of these birth certificates back, and I was going to have to face this parent and explain to them how I lost their only birth certificate. And so, I mean, the paperwork was enormous. We had to fill out, I remember the eligibility sheets where you had to walk across the walk across the field when you were a football coach and exchange the yellow sheet with the yellow sheet, and you had to have these typed up. And back when back when I was first athletic director, I had I had no secretary. I mean, we didn't have a secretary. We used to, lucky enough, we used to be able to get uh, some of the senior senior high school girls who were in a uh, a special class for a, like an administrative class, and they were able to come in and help. But again, you know, when you bring somebody in and they're only in there for an hour, it takes you a half hour to explain the job to them, what you want to get done. And by that time, a new one was coming in and you had to explain another one to them. So uh, the paperwork was just enormous. The other thing that I really don't recall, there was never a time when I went to an athletic event that I was fear of safety. I, I just never, I never really, I never really thought anything bad was going to happen. I mean, granted, we had a, we had a few policemen. Now, when we, when we ran events in our gym we had no we had no law officers there uh you as the athletic director were in charge of crowd control you were in charge of somebody misbehaved you had to get them out you were in charge of the money and i i can remember <laughs> and i i laugh about this because i remember at on a friday night at 10 o'clock at night carrying two thousand dollars in a small satchel going to a a drive-in teller at night in a bank, sitting in a parking lot with all this money and depositing it in a night deposit and never ever thinking about somebody can hit me over the head and rob me. I mean, those were just things you never thought about. Uh, nowadays, things are different, you know. Uh, now computerization has helped. And, and I had a hard time, I had a hard time, I guess I had a hard time accepting anything new. Uh, computers were not in my you know, they, I didn't know about computers. So it was hard to accept that. The other thing, and I guess I'm showing my my bias. I told you I already was against Title IX, but I'll never forget when Dade County told us that we had to hire an assistant AD. And I thought, well, that's good. But then they said the assistant AD had to be a female. You didn't have any choice. And, and I thought that was ridiculous. Why, why are you gonna make me hire somebody just cause she's a female? Well, it worked out that the person that I did have was very good and, and, and it worked out fine. But uh, those are the kind of things that we used to have to deal with. Uh, the problems that an AD deals with now, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm so glad I'm not an AD anymore. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't know how they deal with all this. You know, I, I was able to deal, we dealt with belligerent parents and things of that sort, but I was kind of rough. If a parent came in and and started complaining. I mean, they used to come in and say, well, you need to fire this coach. You know, you need this coach at that. And my answer to them and probably wouldn't get away with it today was, you know what? I don't go to your work and tell you how to do your job. So why don't you just get out of my office? I mean, you know, you wouldn't get away with that nowadays. I mean, you can't get away with the way you treat kids. I mean, I mean, we, it, it's just a whole, it's 
everything is so, I don't know, so critical that you can't make a mistake because, I mean, you could go to jail now as it, if you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, we didn't think about those kind of things. Uh, uh, handling money. I mean, we used to we used to handle money like it was nothing. You know, nobody, there was no audits and nothing of that sort of thing. And, and you know, I guess the opportunity to, to steal money was there. We never thought about that kind of stuff. You know, when you sold tickets and stuff like that, I mean, uh, the, those are just the problems that we had. Uh, but running, running uh, in, in Dade County, the venues were pretty big. And we used to maybe hire a coach or two to, to help us out. Uh, I guess my training, my training as an athletic director came from the, the, the previous athletic director who uh, was probably one of the reasons the principal wasn't happy with him. He didn't want to do night events. Well, how can you not want to do night events if you were an athletic director? So he used to pay me $15 to handle a night event. You know, so I, so I would I would be the I would be the person in charge at the basketball game or stuff like that, and so that was just the way times have changed. Uh, technology definitely, I can see now how technology has really helped an athletic director and and how things have really changed. Along and, and again with the with the FIAAA, uh, the people involved in the FIAAA now are very professional. When when we first and I'm, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but when, when the FIAAA first had conferences and even when the NIAAA had conferences, it was more of a social event. I mean, there was a lot more partying done and things of that sort. And, and people went there to have a good time. Now people go there to learn. I mean, I never had the opportunity to take a course in how to become an athletic director. And I think if anything has changed in the FIAAA and in the NIAAA, it's the fact that they have all these courses that, that people can take. And I think, I personally think that athletic directors now are much better suited to be an athletic director than I was because of these courses. And if there's anything that has happened that really has changed the course of an athletic director, it's the courses that are being offered by, by, the, by the national. And, and those things are, are, are wonderful. I, like I say, I've never taken one of those. Well, I take that back. I did take a course when I was on the board because we were reviewing a course and the board members took the course to uh, pr project how that course would be. So those are now you, you ask about a toolbox. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I know what you want, but I'm not quite sure how to give it to you. I mean, this meeting is being recorded. Uh, we had a little glitch there, but uh, Ron, a, again, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, technology has, has certainly uh, improved over the years. I, I still remember, I'm a little bit uh, younger than you, but I still remember, you know, my first job, you know, we had the mimeograph machine. We were cranking out schedules and, and lessons and things like that. Uh, boy, I, I could truly spend another hour uh, hearing your stories and, um, you know, the things that uh, you've encountered in your career. Um, but it's time for our wrap up. And we always wrap up with the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you certainly, you know, know your way around the world of athletics as a Hall of Fame athletic director. But we're going to take our final break. We're going to hear from Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack, who sponsor the AD Toolbox segment. And when we come back, 
we're going to find out what Ron Balaz is going to put into his athletic director toolbox. Please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. This meeting is being recorded. We want to say thank you to Athletic Surveys for sponsoring the AD Toolbox segment of our podcast. Athletic Surveys are a quick, easy, and affordable way for you to collect comprehensive data that allows you to evaluate and improve your entire athletic program. Athletic directors typically only hear from uh, that frustrated parent or uh, student athlete, and that's only about 2% of our population. And we need to hear from that 2% to help make changes and, and keep our programs running smoothly. But you as an athletic director need to hear from the 98% of the parents and student athletes that love and support your program. And that's where athletic surveys comes in. If you've never used a survey to take the pulse of your student athletes or your parents, you're really missing out. Go to athleticsurveys.com and let them create a custom survey for you and your program. That's Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack. Let them help you take your athletic program from good to great. This meeting is being recorded. Well, this has been a real treat. We have been visiting with longtime Florida Athletic Director Ron Balaz. Uh, Ron's uh, been in a number of schools here in Florida. He was also the first executive director for the FIAAA, and he's also a member of our organization's Hall of Fame. Right now, though, I'm going to challenge him to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let him put three things in their toolbox. Ron, what three items are going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? Well, I think I think probably one of the first, and I, I really feel the most important, is dealing with funds, dealing with money. Uh, in other words, uh, in this day and age, uh, an athletic director needs to know how to budget for his department. I think most most athletic directors now, even though the principal is in charge of the school money, most athletic directors have the have the the responsibility of managing your budget. You know, uh, it's very difficult to determine when to buy new uniforms for teams, uh, uh, who gets what. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you have a problem with coaches who who say, "Well, you're giving all of this to this sport and not enough to the other." But I think. A good if if there was a if there was a manual that would teach athletic directors a good way to fundraise I think that would be a, a perfect thing I, I don't think there is a manual such as that because each county and each state uh, has different ways of fundraising but you have to realize that as an athletic director one of your main jobs is raising money to provide to to support your athletic programs and and unfortunately, I know I'm not sure everywhere in the country, but I know that in, in a lot of the programs, you don't make money on athletic events anymore. I mean, people people don't go to athletic events as you do. I'm lucky. I live in Sarasota County and uh, there's a high school here in, in uh, Sarasota called Venice High School. And Venice High School is like the high schools of the 1950s and 60s. They, uh, my wife and I go to see Venice play football games. They, they have a great football team. So therefore we go there. And it's amazing that you see people in the grandstands who have no ties to any kids on the field. 
They are just there because they are supporting Venice. But that's that's really an exception. Most high schools, you go to a high school football game or a high school basketball game, and and you can't make enough money on a on an athletic event to actually uh, boost your program. So I, I think one of the most important things is you have to number one know how to make money, and then know how to manage it when you make that money. Okay. The other thing is, and I, I mentioned this before, and I'm sure many people, the ability to hire a good coach. When you when you interview a coach, what are the questions or what are you looking for? Are you looking for the fact that this person can just be a good coach? No, you're you you want this to be a good person and a good role model for your for your students. But how do you find that? If there was a, if again, if there was a manual that said, this is the way you hire a good coach, that would be good. But there's no such thing. You have to, you have to use your gut. And I think, I think being a good athletic director is using your gut feeling. Can I, can I trust this person to be a good coach? And then on this other side of it, how do you get rid of a bad coach? without making people mad. I mean, you know, you just can't, it's not like corporate America where they can just say we're downsizing. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a person, most probably you're dealing with a person who is also a good friend of yours. And now you got to bring that person in and you got to tell this person, he's no longer your coach. Uh, to me, that that's a technique that, that I don't know that you can teach. It's something that has to come by experience. And probably, I guess, the last thing and the hardest thing, if, if I could teach a, a new athletic director, was how to deal with disgruntled parents. Uh, I, I, it's just, that's a problem that's never going to go away. They're never happy with what's going on. Even I've, I've been in successful programs and the parents are still going to complain. Uh, the number one complaint is, how come my kid doesn't play? Uh, back when I was an athletic director and like I told you before, you couldn't get away with this now. And I would say to the parent, because your kid's no good. Okay. Well, that, you can't say that anymore. You can't do that. You got to be an athletic director has to, and I guess the, the last thing would be in the toolbox was how to be politically correct. Uh, you, you have to deal with school boards, you have to deal with parents, you have to deal with the community, and each community is different. And and I, I tell you what, I, I admire athletic directors now. And I and I really think you won't find I mean I was I was a career athletic director. I was I was in the business for 35 years. You don't find those people anymore because the job is too hard. And basically what's happening nowadays is you get into this position of an athletic director and all of a sudden an assistant principalship looks better, or you're not obviously not making enough money for the time that you put in. So they, they go out of business. So I, I think you find that if you find an athletic director who's been around for 10 years, that's a veteran anymore. Uh, you don't find the 20 and 25 year athletic directors anymore because the job has become so difficult. You're dealing with, with the with the transgender issues, you're dealing with all of these different things. Uh, I don't think I could deal with that anymore. With the person with the personality I had as an athletic director, uh, I wouldn't fit in in this day's athletic directors.
Well, again, the tools that you mentioned, uh, I, I think they're timeless. Uh, you know, knowing your budget, you know, forwards and backwards, you know, being able to hire great people. Uh, and, and you you touched on it, but back in even our day, uh, you know, having coaches who were in the building as teachers, as educators, seeing the kids in the classroom, in the hallways, in the cafeteria, so important. And then, yes. you know, the, the ability to communicate with your constituents. Uh, yes. Again, it's, you know, when I was, in, I was a senior in 1975, so I, I date myself, uh, yeah. you know, it's 2023. It's, it's a different ball game. And yes. uh, I, I guess the, the thing that I want our listeners to end with is thank you, Ron, so much for sharing uh, this uh, historical uh, visit and some best practices that are still timely for athletic directors today. Thanks so much for sharing with our listeners. And uh, again, all the best uh, to all the activities you're still involved with uh, going down the road. You know, one thing, and I, I'm not trying to butt back in, but one of the things we didn't talk about, which seems, and I, and I think about this now, and you mentioned it when you have to get coaches in the building. One of the hardest things for an athletic director is to hire these coaches who are out of the building who are firemen, who are policemen, who are things of that sort. They, they are the hardest people to control because they don't quite understand the school system, but yet you find that you go to, you go to a lot of schools and half their coaching staff are, are people who are not educators. They are, they are people off the street and you need those people, but those people are very hard to control because what control do you have over them? I mean, you know, so so I think that's another problem that I don't know how to deal with that. I mean, I, I had some con we used to call them contract coaches, but a lot of them were good. But I had an awful lot of them who were not very good. And you, you had to get rid of them because they just didn't understand the whole philosophy of of coaching and education and and what it means to be a good coach. So I think ending up with that, I think that's another problem that the new ADs have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And it just underscores, um, you know, having that principal or superintendent, school board, whoever, uh, having that school leadership that values that coach that also teaches in the building. Um, so very important. Um, Ron, your um, contact information is still on the um, NIAAA portal. So for our listeners, if you want to reach out, maybe ask Ron a question or two, uh, his email is on uh, the NIAAA uh, membership portal. Um, Ron, again, thanks so much for, for sharing today. Uh, looking forward to seeing you uh, at the FIAAA conference coming up in May. And uh, once again, thanks for sharing with our listeners today. Thank you, Jake. I, I know it's been a long time coming. You thought I was avoiding you, but it was very enjoyable. And I thank you for having me. Uh, well, we're glad that you can help us celebrate uh, on a very special uh, 400th episode. For our listeners, um, we do this just about every day, and the Zoom recordings get uploaded to the Educational AD Podcast YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. Um, please come back again, and we'll see you next time on the Educational AD Podcast. I got to tell you, that was a real treat to uh, be able to spend some time with a legend uh, like Ron Belaz. Um, Again, we appreciate you listening. Uh, please visit our sponsors. Thanks to our partners. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Educational AD Podcast.